cooking soul food on the bus, jars of Tony's seasoning, and bringing a musical party around the world. This week, we're talking to the crown prince of Zydeco, C.J. Chenier. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson, host of Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. Usually, we look at a city from a foodie's perspective and tell you the best places to eat and drink there. But this week, we have a special episode as I'm talking to the crown prince of Zydeco, C.J. Chenier. C.J.'s released numerous albums with his group, the Red Hot Louisiana Band, and played with Paul Simon on his Rhythm of the Saints record. C.J.'s won numerous awards, including being inducted into the Gulf Coast Music Hall of Fame. C.J. also loves good food, and he talks about cooking on the road and some of his favorite things to eat while on tour. But first, let me ask a favor. If you like the show, how about subscribing to Destination Eat Drink? That way, you'll automatically get the new episodes when they drop each Friday. You can also get Destination Eat Drink at Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, you'll find Destination Eat Drink. Now, one thing about my talk with C.J. Chenier— Before recording, I asked CJ how to pronounce his name, and the reason is because I'd heard different people pronounce it in different ways, and CJ told me it kind of depends on where the person is from, how they pronounce it, whether they pronounce it the Creole, the French, or the Americanized pronunciation. That's why during this interview, you will hear me pronounce CJ's last name differently than the way he says it later in the show guess I should have been smart and ask him how he pronounces it. Anyway, here is the immensely talented and funny C.J. Chenier. Destination, eat, drink. C.J. Chenier, first and foremost, thank you for being on Destination, eat, drink. You are the crown prince of Zydeco, but I think not everyone in my audience, knows exactly what Zydeco is. How do you describe your music for folks who don't know what Zydeco is? Well, I always describe it as good time, happy, feel good music. That's a good way to start, man. I mean, I grew up listening to rock and roll, straight ahead rock and roll, and I didn't discover Zydeco until I was probably in my mid-20s, but I've been in love with it since, and I remember seeing you at the New Orleans Jazz Festival, I think, in 2012, and boy, it's a party. (laughs) You guys guys know how to have a party, no doubt about it, and is that that what you're trying to bring across to folks is is let's have some fun? Yeah, well, you know, that's what this music has always been about, you know, it's always been about fun, eight-year-old kids dance with their 70-year-old grandmothers or, you know, it's always been a family-orientated, let's have a good time kind of music. And you see that at the shows. You've got kids dancing around. You've got couples who are dancing. And like you said, you've got grandparents. CJ, you grew up in Port Arthur, Texas. And for folks who don't know where that is, it's east of Houston. To me, Port Arthur has always seemed more on the Louisiana side of the line than the Texas side of the line, even though it's a Texas town. 
Um, what was Port Arthur like when you were growing up in the 60s and 70s? Well, I can remember back when those days of Port Arthur, man. You know, it was always, back then especially, it was a musical town, you know. Uh, it had a lot of refineries, had like steel mills and ports and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, all the big groups, you know, I was too young, but all the big groups, you know, B.B. King and Bobby Bland and James Brown and all those people came through Port Arthur back in the day. And, of course, my daddy played there a lot at, a, uh, at the club in Port Arthur back in the 60s and 70s also. For folks who don't know, your father was uh, Clifton Chenier. He was the king of Zydeco. You're the crown prince of Zydeco because you're his son. But um, you, from what I understand, you didn't grow up loving Zydeco. You more more of a soul funk person. What what got you into that Zydeco music? Well, you know, when I was a kid, you know, uh, Zydeco wasn't like it is right now. Uh, most people, most people after you left Louisiana and Texas didn't even know what it was. You know, they like Zydeco. What is that? You know, so <laughs> it, it was it was like uh, uh, nobody really. So when I grew up, you know, my mother wasn't really musical and my dad was on the road. So I grew up not really listening to a whole lot of music. And uh, uh, by Zydeco not being that popular, you know, back then, I grew up playing funk, you know, James Brown, uh, Cool the Gang, and Mandrill, Irving Fire, stuff like that, because that's what we heard all the time. But... Uh, through the years, you know, Zydeco did it, got so popular, man, because I think it was mostly based on uh, the bands going out there and pounding the pavement because it sure wasn't the radio that did it. It wasn't the media that did anything. It was uh, the musicians going around the town and, and uh, arousing the curiosity of people because the music was so fun, they wanted to know more about it. So, you know, it went from People not even knowing how to pronounce it, calling it Zydeco. Now everybody pretty much knows what Zydeco is. And like I said, I attribute all of that to the uh, people pounding the pavement. And, you know, because I didn't grow up with it, you know, not that I didn't like it, it just wasn't present. You know, and uh, my mom only had one of my dad's albums, uh, which had 80% French on it, which I didn't understand back in the day. And, you know, a couple of instrumentals, which I love, but the one thing about the music, no matter if you understood the words or not, the music always had you patting your foot and bopping your head, man, no matter what. Yeah, man, I don't speak, I don't speak, I had a couple years of high school French, but I don't speak French, but you can tell what the message of the music is by listening to it. It's energetic, man. It's, 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 and you know, uh, I mean, I'm kind of selfish myself, you know, it's energetic, but I, I stood there and I watched the audience, man. And, <laughs> uh, and they have so much fun, man, hopping, skipping, jumping, sliding, no matter skating, no matter what they feel like doing. It was so much fun to watch, man. It just, you know, it took me away from all of the, uh, the funk and all of that stuff, and I just became a radical fanatic. That, so that brings up a good point, CJ. When you're out playing with the band, with the Red Hot Louisiana band, and you're really getting into it, are you feeding off the audience? So, in other words, if you've got a great audience that's really into it and they're dancing, 
Does that mean you're going to have a better show? And by contrast, if you've got an audience that's sitting on their hands, does that mean you've got to try all that much harder? It's, it kind of tends to be that way. It's the shows where people are really having a good time and dancing tend to flow a lot better. But now there's other times when people aren't dancing, but they're really appreciative, you know, and I guess there's some crowds that's not dancing crowds, man, but they will show you appreciation in another way. So that kind of takes some of the uh, the spice off also of, of, of having a hard gig. But sometimes, just some places, man, you just have to, to say, okay, I'm going to get up here and I'm going to do my best on this show and try to show the people what's up. And just sometimes, man, it's just, you know, nothing's 100% all the time. I wanted to ask you about one of your early records called Hot Rod. Like I, like I said, CJ, I grew up as a rock and roll guy, and I was familiar with the label Slash Records because they were putting out all these punk rock records that I used to listen to. But Slash Records put out your record, Hot Rod, back in the 80s, and it just seemed like, how, how, did, how did those two things come together, a punk rock label with a Zydeco band on it? <laughs> I, I really, it's hard for me to say, man, because, uh, you know, I did my first album on all Hoolie records. Yes. And uh, speaking of Hot Rod, remember I told you my mom only had one of my dad's albums at home? Yes. Well, Hot Rod was on that album, and that was my favorite song. So I, I just, when I was started recording, I had to do it because that's the one song on my dad's album that I completely 100% understood. <laughs> right. Hot Rod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I want to... Go ahead. Go, go ahead, ahead CJ. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. You go ahead. I was just about to say I kind of lost track of the question you asked me. Well, I was just asking <laughs> how Slash Records comes together with oh, uh, okay. CJ. Well, it was, it was the thing with Chris Track was at Hoolie. He kept on telling me, he said, uh, I have to get you on a bigger label, you know, which Hoolie was cool to me because it was a Roots label and it was unique. But right. Chris Track was had in mind that I needed to be with somebody bigger. So he's the one that actually found Slash Records. And I actually did two albums on Slash Records, Hot Rod and I Ain't No Playboy. But the year I did I Ain't No Playboy, they went out of business. Okay. That CD hardly ever got in the airplay. And in all honesty, I think that's the best CD I ever put out. Really? Yeah, I Ain't No Playboy. That nobody knows about it because Slash went out of business and it just kind of just didn't go nowhere because it was, the label was gone. Well, there you go. But if you ever get a chance to, to get I Ain't No Playboy, like I said, to me, that, that's the best. That's one of the best. That's the one I like the most. I got to I gotta uh, pull up eBay and see if I can find someone who's got a copy of that that I can get. There you go. If you see me, I got them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you got a couple in the basement. All right. I got them. CJ, you released an album called the Desperate Kingdom of Love in the aftermath of Hurricane Rita. And I wanted to ask you a couple questions about that one because um, the title track, The Desperate Kingdom of Love, that was originally a P.J. Harvey song, who I also love P.J. Harvey. But I I can't wrap my my mind around why you chose that song. It just seems like P.J. Harvey is so far away from where you are how how did you even come across that song in your travels? Well, it was uh, uh, 
actually was Hurricane Katrina. That's the worst one ever. One that told New Orleans up pretty bad. Okay. But my my booking agent at that time was like they wanted me to do a CD, but they wanted me to do it with another band, and it was you know this French label wanted me to do a CD with another band and. And somehow or another, my booking agent was like, well, I want you to listen to this song, you know. And I listened to the song, and it was like, well, it's kind of different. You know, it's kind of about 900 miles away from what I usually do. Right. But we'll figure it out. And uh, after doing it and playing around with it for a little while, you know, and, and kind of understand the words a little better, it kind of, you know, it kind of grew on me, you know, and I... You know, it's turned out to be okay. <laughs> I'll I'll say. I mean, her PJ Harvey's version is absolutely heartbreaking, and then I listen to your version, and I think it's 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 talking about something completely different than what she was talking about. I mean, you can totally see how the hurricane, the lyrics to this song, could be intertwined with the hurricane. I mean, there's there's lyrics in there like "Holy water cannot help you now." I mean, if, right. if that doesn't talk about Louisiana and and Hurricane Katrina, I don't know what does. Yeah, I know it, it was it was a terrible time, and that that whole CD account was totally different than anything I'd ever done before since. But it was a it was a somber time, and you know, uh, we all we well, especially coming from the south, we all have ties in New Orleans, man. We go there all the time, and I've been playing jazz there since 1978. Wow. So you know, it's like it's like you know you're connected to New Orleans. You know, if you're anywhere in Louisiana, and back then I stayed in Lafayette. So if you if you connected anywhere in Louisiana, New Orleans is a part of you. Louisiana is like a big old culture, a culture state, man. I I didn't even know culture until I moved to Louisiana. Man, and there's so much culture there, man. There's so much loving in the families and stuff. You know, it's, it's, you just can't not be a part of Louisiana and don't feel all the good or all the pain. New Orleans is one of my favorite places. We lived in Shreveport when I was just a baby, but New Orleans keeps pulling me back. And the thing that I always say about New Orleans is New Orleans is one of those American cities where when you're in New Orleans, you know, you're in New Orleans, you know, it is a place upon itself. And there's not a lot of places that are maybe like that left in the United States. So it seems like you go to a lot of places and, you know, there's strip malls and there's pawn shops and there's fast food restaurants and it could be anywhere. But you go to New Orleans and there's no doubt you've landed in New Orleans. Oh, yeah, it's got its, it's, got its own unique character to it, man. It's some of everything in New Orleans. You know? But, you know, don't, you can't leave uh, places like Lafayette out. Either. Lafayette is, is like a... Uh, First cousin to New Orleans. Yeah, there's a lot of party going on there too. A lot of food, a lot of music, a lot. Of, you know, it's just not as much as New Orleans, but it's coming up. So, yeah, let's let's talk a little about Lafayette, CJ, because when I was living in Austin a few years ago, my friend Ashley was from Lafayette, and she used to talk up lafayette all the time about how and i never made it out there and she used to talk about the festivals and how great the food was and i just never made it to lafayette so tell me what are some of the best places to go in lafayette and tell me what the food is like there 
Actually, I, I moved out of Lafayette. It's been in the 90s since I lived there. But as far as to tell you the places to go, I'm kind of I'm kind of throwing off on that. But I could give you a general understanding of, of the whole city. It, it's just full of music and it's full of food. It's just like that's a driving force there, the entertainment. You know, it's pretty much in Louisiana. The food and the music is what drives those that state, man. I mean, there's oil and all that kind of junk, but for the most part, the culture part of it, the food and the music drive Louisiana. I mean, especially southern Louisiana, like Lafayette and New Orleans, you know, and surround there like Opelousas and Brobridge and Cecilia and Lake Charles, places like that, man, and just taking over by the food and the music. And where where did you used to when you were in Lafayette? You lived there. You said back in uh, 1990. Uh, was there any place that you used to play that you just would take your uh, you just go and jump up on stage and play? Oh, yeah, we used to play like Grand Street. We played. Uh, uh, we they had a lot of little small clubs there, like Slim's Waikiki and uh, Richard's Club and uh, Going West and. Antlers and a lot of places like they're all music places. Now they turn downtown Louisiana to just an entertainment strip. You know, it's it's like a real small mini Bourbon Street. <laughs> they don't stop the cars, but there's a lot of clubs on uh, downtown now. A lot of entertainment going on down there, and they have downtown live on Friday there. They have bands out on uh, downtown square, and I played there. You know, it's just a lot of fun, man. They call Lafayette lay flat because a lot of times people go there and they just lay flat. They don't go nowhere. (laughs) For one reason or another, right? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, So you make your home in Houston these days. Uh, If I were to go to Houston, where would would we go to get the best Creole food in Houston? Oh, man. There's so many restaurants in, in Houston, but the best Creole food I get in Houston to come out of my kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, That's what I was going to ask you next, CJ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a home cooking kind of person, you know, and you know, I, I, I like, I like, uh, I like rice and gravy, man, and beans and smothered chops or, or, or stuffed roses or smothered steaks uh smothered everything you know turkey necks and all kinds of stuff man smothered pork bones just whatever you could whatever you can make a gravy with you know that's me you know and, and throw some sweet corn on there some cornbread man over there rice and gravy and I, I tell you it's just you can go to there's a lot of places soul food places here in Houston because I'm a I'm a soul food man that's what I like you know, I'm I'm not I'm not big into weird food like asparagus and all that kind of junk <laughs> like that. That's not me. Gotcha. Some rice and gravy with some beans, all kind of beans, peas, green peas, you know, string beans, uh, 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 like a, a, a pinto beans, uh, lima beans, all that kind of stuff, man. Mustard greens, collard greens, you can't miss me. You know, and there's a lot of places in Louisiana like we might have a place called just oxtails. You know, we Sell some oxtails down here too. So there's places over here that that sell soul food like that, man. But like I say, uh, even when I'm on the road, 
we bring electric skillets with us. You know, we, oh, yeah? We'll go to the grocery store. Oh, man. We go to the grocery store in the New York second, run and buy some onions and bell peppers and green onions and some, some, some kind of beef meat and get some of that rice and warm up in the microwave. And we bring electric skillets and barbecue pits and, and grills and all that stuff <laughs> with us, man. We, well, I'll find Airbnb has got a kitchen. We'll go to work on it, man. That's what we do. <laughs> that is awesome. So who's who's the best cook in the band? Ah. <laughs> go ahead, CJ. You can say it's you, I man. <laughs> I don't know, man. We, we we got a few of us that do pretty good. You know, we all got our own little special uh-huh. uh, things that we can cook. I cook something called... My specialty is uh, what everybody likes is CJ Chenier's Creole spaghetti sauce. Creole spaghetti sauce. Okay, so so now you're in my wheelhouse, Italian food. Let's talk. Let's <laughs> talk about spaghetti sauce. Um, <laughs> what 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 makes it Creole? What do you put in to make it uh, the spaghetti sauce Creole? I put in sauces, corn, and shrimp, along with my tuna sashes and a little red pepper, spice it up. You got to know how to put it all together to give it that flavor. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, when when you when you put those sauces and shrimp and corn in there, they kind of turn into a little something different there. So it's like a it's like a spaghetti sauce crossed with a little Creole with a little gumbo. You got the shrimp in there. All right. Yeah. There's, there's no, no gumbo. No, no gumbo. gumbo. It's just it's just a shrimp. You know, it's still it's still a, a tomato sauce base. Yep. But it's the way you make the taste with the sausages and those shrimp. And you put that corn in there for extra coloring and flavor and, and texture. One of these days, if you're ever around, I'll hook you up, bro. That sounds good, <laughs> CJ. Um, and, and any spices? Do you put any spice in there? Do you have a little secret little shake that goes in? Well, you know, I, use, I like to use Tony Sashes because it got everything in there. And I might add a little garlic powder and a little uh, uh, red pepper in there with that, you know, to give it some more some more flavor. But Tony Sasher really got pretty much everything in there, so you don't have to use a whole bunch of ingredients. You throw the Tony in there, you throw some red pepper in there, you throw some onion powder, uh, garlic powder in there with it, just a touch, you know, just to give it a little more flavor, man. So there's always a Tony's on the uh, on the bus, a, a bottle of a little jar of Tony's on the bus. Tony's Tony's on the bus. Right? We're right. always hanging out with us. <laughs> so it sounds like you guys uh, you're doing a lot of your own cooking on the road. Is there anywhere when you're on the road? Is there anywhere where you say, "Oh, we're going to this city. We've got to go to this particular place." Like let's say Austin, for example, because I'm familiar with Austin. I lived there for a couple years. You're going to be in Austin again. You play there all the time. You're going to be there December 22nd. Is there any place in Austin where you say, oh, I, I really got to go to, I don't know, pick a place? Well, it's not particularly we have to go to that particular place, but when we go to Austin, like, we have to get some barbecue, man. We have to get some uh, 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 shredded beef because they have some real good barbecue in Austin, real good shredded beef. And every time we go there, that's what we do. We find us a, we like to try a different place. Yeah, I, I don't think there's one particular place that's ever uh, kind of locked me in taste-wise, except way back in the day when I was playing in Colorado, and they were giving us these 16-ounce steaks and these 16-ounce lobster tails. 
And that was a different thing. <laughs> that was just that one place. But other than that, man, it's like we 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 cruise around and do a variety of things. Now the one place that we all agree on pretty much most of the time is because it's a music. It's because it's feasible. That's the Golden Corral. Okay. Because in the Golden Corral, there's a variety. You can go there. You can get steaks. You can get fish. You can get chicken. You can get beef. You can get you know, just a hot dogs, you can get hamburgers, you can go over there and get Mexican food, you can get everything you want to find in Golden Corral, you can get it there. So we go there because we can go there and everybody can get whatever they want. You know, it's a variety. And then at the end, of course, I can go there and pile up my dessert, like, uh, and I'm a diabetic and I'm not supposed to, but I do it anyway and I take my medicine. We won't, we won't tell anyone, CJ. No one needs to know. So if you're out on the bus in the middle of nowhere and there's a sign on the highway that says next exit Golden Corral, we can pretty much bet the bus is pulling off. We're going in. Yeah, we're pulling in. All right. Everybody, as long as we're pulling in. Yeah. And we found places, you know, like these mom and pop places, man, mostly that, uh, that have real good food. You know, it's a place by. Uh, I can't remember the name, but by O'Hare, not O'Hare, by Midway Airport in Chicago. Yeah. And every time we go there, we try to find that little place because they give you a piece of ham that cover the whole plate, man. It's like, wow. <laughs> so, it's, it's, mom and pop places are really, a lot of times, real good, you know. Uh, yeah, it's like. I find what what thing well, the thing that I say sometimes is I like the places that are in like strip malls because you know the rent is cheap they're kind con- they're just they're putting out the food they're not worried about how much advertising they're doing they're not worried about franchising they're just worried right. about the food you know and if if you've got if you've got mom or dad in the back and the kids in the front you know work in the front of the house you, odds are you're going to get a good meal well, yeah and that's that's the truth man that's why I say that these mom and pop places because a lot of times it's just a whole bunch of relatives in there and they're, they're all doing the cooking and the serving and all that stuff and as opposed to I've been uh mega places before that just when I left out there I was like, well, I won't be coming back here, you know it's like my plate don't have to look pretty, it have to taste good that's right you know, it's a difference. <laughs> You don't have to decorate nothing. Bring me something that tastes good, and we all right. So we talked. Uh, let's see. We talked Chicago. We talked Austin. We talked a little Houston. Um, you play. You're in New York pretty often. Any place in New York that you that you like to hang out? I like. I like. Uh, I like the street vendors in New York. I like to get those little uh, beef sandwages, and sometimes the gyro. Where they call them gyros. Yeah, I learned about them in France first, so I call them gyros, like they do over there. I like I like uh, catch those Steve Vendors that had a gyro uh, sandwiches and stuff like that. Like I say, man, because a lot of times you you go in those restaurants and and take out half your wallet and you leave not satisfied. So I know if I go on the corner and catch the guy on the corner who's trying to make sure he's selling some good sandwiches, you know, I go get one of those gyro sandwiches, man. Good for me. And it'll fill you up too. Oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, CJ, you play quite a bit in Europe with the band, and I got to assume you probably play in Europe, you probably play a lot of these festivals where there's all kinds of different bands playing. How do you find the Europeans uh, reacting to your music when you're over there? Because 
it must be a culture shock to them to see a Zydeco band from Louisiana come over and play somewhere in Europe. Well, one one thing I, I, I definitely noticed about the Europeans, man, they're much, they're very, very, very appreciative of the musicians and the music. You know, uh, not saying that they're not here in the United States, it's just sometimes I think when something is too easily access, accessible by you, you tend not to appreciate it as much as a person where they only, they only hear it every now and then. So, uh, and that goes for some places in the United States also that don't get Zydeco all the time. You know, they they really appreciate it. So, the Europeans, man, it's, first of all, it's accordion is a, a big instrument over there. Sure. And uh, there's a lot of accordion players over there. And, and believe me, accordion players are very, very uh, opinionated. Accordion <laughs> 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 players and accordion workers alike. Very opinionated about it. So when you go to Europe, man, they, it's, it's, it's a thing that they already have a bunch, but the thing is that they're playing different music than you. So when you go there and you're playing blues and boogie, it's like a whole new thing to them. So it's like it's something they haven't, they used to hear an accordion, but not in that time. So uh, they're really appreciative. They really show how much they like you. They, they I, It's hard to describe how, how much they appreciate you, but you know, not only the audience, but the, the promoters and the club owners and people like that. They show you a whole lot of appreciation, man. They just, they treat musicians of my caliber like somebody that might treat Madonna or Michael <laughs> Jackson. Awesome. Here in the United States, you know. So when you, we can go over there and get the same kind of treatment. You know, if they were Madonna, Michael might get a whole lot more. But you go in there and you feel the difference. You know, because I don't know what it is. I, I can't describe what it is, but it's just different. You know, it's like they—I don't know, man. <laughs> I don't want to—I don't want to shine no darkness on what's going on in the United States because don't get me wrong, there's a big old party that happens here also. It's just a little in, more enhanced when you go over there because they don't get it as often. And the, to me, the more often you get this music the less excited they are about it. And that's, you know, they like it over here. Whether there's people that get it all the time, they like it, because that's what they do. They go to the Zydeco. They're way more opinionated about the different artists and the different types of music here. When you go to Europe, it's all brand new to them, so they just love it all. We're talking with the crown prince of Zydeco, C.J. Senier on Destination Eat Drink. CJ, you talked about touring around in Europe, and, you know, my, my girlfriend's uh, grandfather from Italy, he used to play the accordion. You go to France, you see them playing the accordion. Central Europe, uh, the Czech Republic, they they play the accordion. But like you said, it's, it's a different style. Do you ever go, when you're in Europe, do you ever listen to these other accordion players and think, Hey, I could grab a little bit of that and incorporate it into what I do with the Red Hot Louisiana band. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, man. Uh, most players that don't play Zydeco, they play symphonic music or Lawrence uh, uh, Welk type music or <laughs> Chicano music or or something like that. Most of the time, you know, you hear accordion player in Europe. 
they sound like a whole symphony orchestra by themselves, you know. So it's, it's, it's a lot of that stuff, man, won't fit. You know, a lot of it is just totally different. You know, we are totally different. What they're doing now in Europe, they're grasping hold to Europe and Japan. I've been there. They're grasping hold to the Zydeco style instead of, of, of us trying to learn how to play the symphonic music. The symphonic players are grasping hold to the Zydeco style, man, instead, you know. So so it's going I the other it, way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, somebody sent me a, a, a Facebook of a, a Japanese band playing Zydeco, you know. Wow. I've got messages from guys like in uh, uh well, it was in in a, in a in, it wasn't Amsterdam, but it was up that way somewhere in the Netherlands. You know, there's a lot. There's a place in the Netherlands called Zydeco City, where there's a Zydeco festival. It's a whole. They build a whole look like a city of Zydeco clubs inside this big old building, man. And they get this big old uh, festival and they call it. It's called Zydeco City because it's all Cajun clubs inside this big building and. Then, they have a bunch of Zydeco bands there playing this festival. So it's, it's this music, man, needs to just get recognized by the right person who can understand that how good it is, you know, because, I mean, in all honesty, man, the, the, big, the big, big music, big business is what shapes everything. And that goes for Zydeco, there's music also. If they want the music to be present in everybody, they know how to put it there to where the public can get a hold to it. And you might hear a song Monday, don't like it. And the way they put it on you by Wednesday, you're saying it's not too bad. They put it on you some more by Friday, you say, well, that song is it's all right. <laughs> you know, that's because that's what they wanted to do. This is what they want to push. Right. You know, so it's, it's all about, I think we we still not where it should be because the people in the, in the, in the, in the position that could put it there, just not listening to it. You know, they rather go put together a little boy band or something like that and get all the little girls gleamy eyed. And you can put a boy band, Zydeco band together and do the same thing if you wanted to. You know, they can program the audience and that's what they do. And there's fewer and fewer corporations that are controlling the media almost exclusively. You know, a handful of corporations are in complete control of this. And frankly, they're not thinking about Zydeco. You know, exactly, they're, they're exactly. thinking about yeah. what the next teenage heartthrob is going to be. Exactly, but they don't know. The next teenage heartthrob will be Zydeco music altogether in the whole, you know. Sure. All they got is, I mean, it's hard. When you go to a Zydeco gig with an open mind, it's hard not to have a good time. It's hard not to do it. It's hard If you just let yourself go, it's hard for your feet not to start moving. It's just hard, man. And uh, I think it's just... If, if if they just get recognized by the right person, they do the right thing, it'll be it'll take off. It might not be in my lifetime. I wish it had been in my daddy's lifetime because he deserved it all, you know. But it, it had to start somewhere, and he was the beginning, you know. So now we just have to see if we could. I've been pounding the paper, man, on my own since nineteen uh nineteen eighty seven, you know. So it, it's it's a it's a constant struggle to just keep going and to keep on keep on getting out there and the, the, the world is changing so much you know they don't want me to play a cardio no more 
they want me to get on Facebook and and be my own uh, uh my own promoter. I mean, I could be the musician or I could be the promoter. I keep people right. As a matter of fact, I don't want to be both, but that's where today's world has got you. You know, you play the card in your band is great, but we need you to promote. Well, I'm not a promoter, man. I'm a musician, but that's what you got to do. So they. You know, people like me kind of got left behind and all that stuff, and I'm trying to catch up, but I'm not really a social media person, but that's what everybody wants. That's the new way of the world. You know, uh, kind of forget how it used to be when I I used to go play those clubs back in the day. They have three or 400 people in there, and I didn't advertise nothing. So I'm just wondering what happened. No one one does anything without staring into that little box in the palm of their hands these days. But CJ, you brought up a really interesting point to me about Zydeco clubs in the Netherlands. And what that says to me is that your father and you and other um, Zydeco musicians obviously planted this seed over the course of the last 30, 40 years in in Europe, in these places, because people started these bands. It didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened because you were out there playing, you know, every year, going back and seeing these audiences, and they, they picked up these instruments and said, hey, I want to do this too. That's exactly right, and, and that's why I say all the tickets are the right situation. You know, it's like this, this music belongs to everybody. It's It's a... It's a make-you-feel good kind of music. It's a, if you had a bad day, you're going to make you smile kind of music. It's if you need to get down the highway, put this on because it's going to energize you. It's got all kinds of uh, facets to it, man. It's just we, we kind of stuck on spinning wheels, but like you see, if it had not been for the artist going out pounding the pavement all these years, man, who knows? Because nobody else paid attention to it. We had to go out there and do it, present it to all these people from coast to coast, and, you know, I've been in every province, every province they got in Europe, from Victoria to uh, Nova Scotia, you know, and, and uh, all, I can't tell you how many places I've been in Europe, and Macedonia, and Slovenia, and, and uh, you know, Russia, and China, Japan, and, you know, just all over Denmark, uh, Sweden, Switzerland, everywhere, man, we've been everywhere playing the Zydeco, so, <laughs> all it needs to do is get, get the right person, the right spot, to understand, man, we need to put these people in front of an arena full of people instead of just a, a club full. You <laughs> need to be an arena making all these people have a good time, you know? You need to be you need to be opening for the Rolling Stones and Madonna in, in you know, football stadiums. That's right. That's right. And I tell you what, when we get off the stage, they're going to have a hard time because we'd have a party, man. We'd have a, we'd have a... <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's right. Just, hey, man, I'm just telling you. I mean, we don't have all the flash, all the $9 million worth of lights and showing 30 people on the stage, but the five people we have is going to raise sand, bro. We're going there with all the intentions of the world of everybody in that place, if it's one or 1,000, having a good time. Well, CJ, we kind of skipped over New Orleans. If if you have a moment, I'd like to jump back into New Orleans because it's one of my sure. favorite cities. And, you know, I I love – my favorite thing to do in New Orleans is just to walk down to Frenchman Street and just walk into each one of the little clubs, see who's playing, hang out for a while, maybe jump into another one, get a cocktail, and walk around a right. little bit more. Um, where where When you're in New Orleans, where do you like to hang out? 
Well, you know, Frisman Street is a new Bourbon Street, man. I mean, when I I'll went say. to Bourbon Street and there was no more blues and boogie going on with a whole lot of, you know, other kind of stuff, I'm like, well, it's not really what I want to listen to. It's not really what I'm used to on Bourbon Street. But all the Bourbon Street music moved to Frenchman Street, so that's where I hang out when I go there. If I go anywhere, but a lot of times when I finish performing, man, all I'm good for is go to my room and chill. But if I'm there and I'm, I'm out, I'm going to Frenchman Street because it's just like you say. You duck in one club for a while, you hear a band, you get your cocktail, you go to another one, you walk down the street, you stop here, you get you something to eat, and you go to the next club, and that's the way it goes. CJ, it's been just a joy to talk to you, man. I mean, I've been, I've been into your stuff for a long time now, and to get to talk to you on my podcast is just really quite a special honor for me um you're you're out on the road you're still you're plugging away man all the time like i said you're going to be in austin i saw that and you're you know you're playing all the time so folks should go to your website they should uh see where you're playing and if they're coming anywhere near you if the red hot louisiana band is anywhere near your hometown go see cj man because uh, uh he describes it the best it is a party is officialcjshanir.com. My schedule is always on there and it stays pretty much updated. And We we are everywhere. We're going to be uh, in the Midwest in November, then we're going to be on the East Coast in, in uh, December, then we're going to be in the South around Florida in January, and it goes on from there, man. So we'll be in an area near you soon. How great would it be to hang with CJ on tour while he whips up some of his Creole spaghetti sauce? CJ Chenier and the Red Hot Louisiana Band will be at Natalie's in Columbus, Ohio, Friday, November 22nd. All CJ's concert dates are on officialcjchenier.com, and I've got a link to that website in the show notes. That's going to do it for this week's episode. Join me next week when we'll be enjoying yogurt honey, and feta cheese in Athens, Greece. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by Ed Silla of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. I will see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink, a presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.